0: Ladies and gentlemen, Benall of
1: America! And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Benall. Friends, this is Tim Benal of, of America.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Before we dive into this week's program, let me throw out some long overdue plugs for some friends of BOA Audio. What some folks listening here on the show may not know is that we are syndicated on three online esoteric radio networks. And I just want to give a shout out to those Three networks and encourage all of our great listeners to check them out. So here they are. Let me roll down the list. Anomaly Radio Network, www.anomalyradio.com. Definitely want to check that one out. It is run by our good friend, Smiles Lewis. Up next is the incomparable John Greenwald's Black Vault Radio, www.blackvaultradio.com. Great site. Lots of great programs on there. And it is also a mirror site for streaming audio of this program. So definitely a place to go if we are overloaded at BOA proper. You can always listen to the program in streaming audio over at Black Vault Radio. And finally, Paranormal Radio Network, run by Joe Montaldo. You can find that at www.ufoparanormalradio.com. Three great online esoteric radio networks. I humbly thank them for having BOA Audio ...on their networks, and I hope uh, all the great folks who have discovered us via their networks have enjoyed the program so far... ...and will stick around and dig into the archive of BOA Audio episodes and find out more about the program. Now that we've taken care of that, let's move on to this week's program. As you may have surmised from the introduction to music, it is a St. Patrick's Day-themed edition of BOA Audio... I'm Irish. I come from Boston, as many of you may know, so we are awash in Irish pride here this weekend. And as you may recall from the close of 2008's episodes here on BOA Audio, we've had this episode in the till for quite some time. I actually taped this interview with Betty Mailer way back in late October, and then it got held to the beginning of the year, and then at that point, I said to myself, why don't we just hold it here till St. Patrick's Day and tie it all together with the Irish theme, and that's what we're doing. Our guest is Betty Myler, president of the UFO Society of Ireland. It's another international edition of the program. We're going all the way across the Atlantic, stopping in Ireland for a discussion on UFOs of the Emerald Isle. Definitely a little bit different from our normal international episodes in the sense that ufology in Ireland is really just beginning So there isn't that rich history that we've had with some of the other international hotspots we've featured, such as France and Australia. Nonetheless, it is a fascinating conversation. Some of the stuff we're going to be talking about is how the UFO Society of Ireland came to be formed, why it is a groundbreaking group in the country, unique aspects of Ireland with regards to the esoteric, remarkable UFO reports that Betty has collected from recent times, her thoughts on the relationship between UFOs and the Irish government, media, and military, and other strange, esoteric side roads that can be found in Ireland, including ancient monuments, mystery mounds, forgotten tombs, and much, much more. It is certainly a memorable edition of BOA Audio. We're going international and holiday-themed, examining the world of UFO studies in Ireland with the unforgettable Betty Mailer. I think the listening audience is really going to enjoy Betty. She is definitely one of a kind. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Betty Mailer, I'm not going to be much help to you. There is no bio listed for Betty Mailer at the website for UFO Society of Ireland. There's also no bio listed anywhere online of Betty, and I emailed and called her this past week to try and wrangle up a bio from Betty, but Did not hear back from her, and uh, no bio available, so in essence I cribbed a sentence or two here from a newspaper article about the UFO Society of Ireland, and then threw in a little bit of my own information here at the end. The UFO Society of Ireland began in 1996 as the brainchild of Betty Myler, who hails from Boyle, Ireland. From talking to friends, she realized that there were many people who had seen things, but were reticent to come forward and relate their strange sightings, some going back 20 or 30 years, for fear of being laughed at or ridiculed. Over the last five years, the organization has hosted notable UFO researchers from around the world at their annual Irish International UFO Conference. Her website is www.ufosocietyireland.com. Pretty simple, all one word, UFO Society. Ireland.com. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on October twenty eighth, two 2008. Betty Myler talking about the UFO Society of Ireland on BOA Audio Season 4. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of All of America Audio. We are going way across the pond here this week. We are going all the way to ireland for another international edition of boa audio we're going to be discussing irish ufology with betty mylar the president of the ufo society of ireland the website is www.ufosocietyireland.com very excited to have betty here on the show so betty welcome to banal of america audio thanks for taking the time to talk to us all the way from right there in ireland
2: thank you very much and tim thank you for having me on your show
1: no problem. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, you uh, whereabouts in Ireland, are you?
2: Well, I live in Boyle, County Ruscommon, which is about the heart of Ireland.
1: Okay. It's a little town. Excellent, excellent. So let's just dive in here. Let's start out first with who is Betty Mylar. Give us a little bit of your bio, your background, and how you became interested in UFOs.
2: Well, we won't start at the beginning because that's a long, long story. But <laughs> uh, how I became interested in the UFOs was in 1996, there was a article in one of the newspapers here, the national newspapers, The Sunday World, to say that there had been a crash, a UFO crash, in the mountains, Curlew Mountains, just outside of Boyle. Boyle is my hometown in the county of Roscommon in Ireland. And two people came down to investigate, one from uh, Dublin and one from Armagh in the north of Ireland to investigate this uh, thing. They went down to the spot and there was... Nothing there, there were trees sort of cut down, but one man went out with his Geiger counter, and he couldn 't find anything at all uh, we 're not quite sure what caused this. But it created a bit of confusion at the time in the area. It's a small town, as you can imagine. And the roads up these country roads were sealed off with uh, American limousines. And we have uh, helicopters coming from our own Air Force camp up in the north. So there was some sort of activity, but we never, ever found out, got to the bottom of it. It certainly wasn't the UFO crash. Anyway, these two men did a presentation in one of the pubs. I mean, where else would you do a presentation in Ireland but in a pub? <laughs> <laughs> and um, they did, a, and I was amazed. About 40 to 50 people, it's only a small town, and I was amazed about 40 to 50 people came to this uh, presentation. And talking to the townspeople afterwards, there seemed to be quite a lot of people who had experiences, strange experiences of one description or the other. And they'd always been, they'd told their parents, and the parents said, oh, don't tell anybody, no, they'll think you're mad. So it was great to sort of talk to people who would understand, you know, and not laugh at each other. So we decided to form a society. I'm a great one for forming societies in the town. So anyway, we formed the society, and it was to be the Western, the West of Ireland UFO Society. And then uh, what happened, uh, this was a big breakthrough for me. In February 1998, I was interviewed by Woman's Way. Now, Woman's Way is uh, one of these women's newspapers, you know, these weekly
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, things. Um, I don't know what names they go under in America, but you know, I'm sure your readers will, your listeners will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it was a two-page spread. And who was on the front page but Robbie Williams? Oh, Yes, so I thought this was great. I'm not, I wasn't a great fan of Robbie Williams then, but I am now. So anyway, I got a two-page spread in this paper, this weekly paper, and as soon as that paper hit the, the, the newsstands, I got phone calls from every radio station in the country, from Donegal in the north down to Cork in the south, Wexford in the west, uh, Galway in the, in the west, you're asking me about this, you know, this new UFO phenomenon and the new UFO society and stuff like that that I'd formed. And I was talking to a lot of people, and a lot of them sounded, especially for, like little old ladies, and they all seemed to say the same message. You know, we saw something 20, 30, 40 years ago, never told anybody before except like our parents, and they said to keep quiet because, you know, the neighbors will think you're a bit crazy. And isn't it great to talk to somebody who will not only listen to us, but who will believe us? That was the important thing. So then I decided, well, that's great. So instead of being just a little uh, society in the west of Ireland, which is not a big country, and the west of Ireland is a very small area, Uh, I will become the UFO Society of Ireland. So overnight, I became the UFO Society of Ireland. And nobody came back to me and said, well, you can't be UFO Society Vile right? because we are UFO Society Vile right? because I'd never heard about anything with UFOs before. And I thought, well, that's okay. So then of course, Tim, they needed a president. <laughs> so who better than Betty to become the first president, self-elected <laughs> by a committee of one. <laughs> So that's how, that is how I became the president of the UFO Society of Ireland. All right, that's a good story.
1: That's a great story. I love it. Um, yeah. Now Ireland has a very rich history, so uh, we won't even really go into that because we'll be here all afternoon talking about, uh, or all evening for you, talking about the history of Ireland. But let's talk about the history of the UFO phenomenon in Ireland, from what you know. How far back do you think this goes? Uh, as far as UFO sightings, I mean, I'm sure you probably have unearthed some interesting reports of UFO sightings from way back when, or maybe somehow tying this in with the fairy culture in some way. Maybe there is some kind of connection. I don't know. That's what I'm asking you here. What, let's talk a little bit about the history of the phenomenon in Ireland.
2: Well, it, I would say it goes back a long, long time. But see, up till very recently, Tim, people have been a bit, um, should I say, nervous to come forward because they, they want to be classed as, as uh, weirdos. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even now people, you know, when I go on and I do a lot of radio programs, as you can imagine, and the interviewer will always say, you know, Betty, what do you say to those people who say you're mad? I said, that's okay. Everybody has their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own beliefs. I said, well, I'll tell you one thing. When Galileo first said the earth was round and everybody else said it was flat, didn't they say he was mad? Right. Isn't that a good, I mean, I don't. Class myself in the same category as Galileo exactly, but it's the same anom- anomaly, uh, mm-hmm. alumnum, whatever you say. Anyway, so the, that, is, that is the whole thing, but up to very recently, people have been nervous to say they've seen UFOs because their neighbors will think they're crazy. Yeah. Because uh, of, of the way Ireland is. And I'll tell you one story of, of an old lady, she's now, she's just recently passed away in her 90s, and she told me the story when she was about. Four or five years years of age, and she was going past this lake, and she saw these white lights going up out of the lake and Now you know I was talking about say, seven, eight years ago, just shortly before she died, and she says she thinks that there were uFOs because, as you know uFOs go to lakes a lot mm-hmm. the submersible objects um, and when she went back and told her mother, her mother said, "Oh, dear, uh, those are the souls of the dead." and they're going to heaven, you must pray for them. That is the way they took it. Yeah. You know, and you can understand that because I'm talking about maybe 70, 80 years ago, the word UFO hadn't been even coined
0: Mm
2: -hmm. at that stage. So this is what the old people would have seen. And, you know, I'm hearing now a lot of stories from people, you know, who are elderly and who'd seen things and uh, they were afraid to talk to anybody because they'd be taken as being
0: mad.
1: Yeah. I know that, uh, you know, Ireland has a rich history of esoteric uh, occurrences. Do you think the UFO phenomenon was going on, you know, way back when? And do we have any sort of evidence to that in the historical documents of Ireland? In the no, we record? have
2: no evidence of it in historical documents, but I think it's been going on for a long time, but they would have taken it as the fairies. Yeah. You know, um, and it's been, you see, until very, very recently, Tim, there's been nobody for people to identify with, to to come forward to. I mean, now I'm always getting phone calls from people or emails from people to say, you know, I saw something yesterday, two years ago, three years ago, last week, you know, and what do you think? And from what they they described to me, it's obviously a UFO. But until now, there's nobody who they could relate to. Yeah, and it's only very recently. You know, I've only been in this thing since well, since 1998, and that's not very long in, in this sort of context. And to get become nationally re- recognized, I mean, now I'm nationally recognized. But you know, when you first start, you're only recognized in your area. And even then, not really recognized because you know they think you're a crackpot, and you know they don't want to necessarily come forward and say they've seen something. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean I'm sure it's the same in a lot of the the, the rural areas in, in America. It it must be the same sort of story. Yeah. But see, see things are happening now and then people are relating things to me which you know they wouldn't have related otherwise. Now, just to give you an example, um on, on the, there's, there's just outside of Boyle there's the Boyle Golf Club and there's a small mound and it's called Nabrusna. And this is, um, I've been to this mound before with uh, mediums, um, and it is reputed to be the burial place of Cesar. Now, Cesar was the granddaughter of Noah. Now, Noah put her out of the ark. Well, I don't really know why. Um, But anyway, together with Forte of her compatriots, she landed on the shores of Um, Ireland, and found her way, you know, into the interior of Ireland, and she is reputed to be buried in this particular mound. It's only a small little mound. And I went in with with somebody who was, like, investigating these things. Well, one medium found a direct ley line from there to Mount Ararat. Now, if you put your mind back, on the top of Mount Ararat is reputed to be the Ark of the Covenant. Mm Mm-hmm. Right and this is to, supposed to be the daughter of Noah, so that makes a link there
0: yeah
2: another another medium could see that this mound, in fact, was a cavern, so it was a big space inside it, and she didn't know what it was for um she told me this this is some years ago she, she told me this you know, I just sort of put it in the back of my mind and didn't think anything more about it, well in uh it was the nineteenth of november uh two thousand and uh two thousand and two I think it was um a woman and her husband were travelling along this road, and just at this point they saw a huge, huge white light with beams coming down from it
0: hmm.
2: and I said, "Well, what did you do?" she said, "Well, my husband got scared, and we just you know put the foot down and came traveled on as fast as we could." Well, you see, what I would believe that this is actually a hangar or a resting place for UFOs. And there's been a lot of activity around this particular area. Next to that area also is a lake. It's called Lock Key. It's just a few miles out of Boyle, a couple of miles out of Boyle. And on one of the the lakes, not the lakes, one of the shores of this particular lake, on the 1st of January 2005, there was a charity swim. And a friend of mine went down to do the swim, you know, because she'd been collecting money. Um, And her brother went with her. Her brother now had just recently bought a digital camera. He'd been given a digital camera for Christmas. And he went to take a photograph of herself. And then he turned his attention to an island just off the, about 500 metres off the shore. Uh, he wanted it as a screensaver for his computer, so he took it home, processed it on the computer, and there, in the middle of the island, was a big, but a big white light. Now, this island has some mature trees. It's a deserted island. It has some mature trees, and the trees must be at least 30 to 40 foot high. And I've checked this out with other people, and they all agree that, you know, it must be at least that size. And this light was one-third the size. Oh, wow. No disorder, at the time or anything. But wow. As he, you know, we, we met in a pub again, where else would you meet in Ireland, <laughs> to exchange these photographs. And as he was leaving, he said, there's a portal there. I thought, that is a very strange thing for him to say, because he's not into that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. A lot of my friends who are are sort of spiritual and things would talk about portals, but he wasn't, and I thought that was an odd thing for him to say. So anyway, I do a lot of work with with pendulums. I'm sure your listeners will be uh, familiar with pendulums and how they work.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, like dowsing?
2: Dowsing, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So through dowsing and the pendulum, I found out, A, that this light was, in fact, a UFO, it wasn't on the island, it was about 25 feet in front of the island, and there was a portal there, which would then lead me to surmise that there is a, a portal in the middle of the lake. Wow. Okay? Wow, exactly, wow. So, uh, I thought this was amazing. And then, this is uh, I'm saying on the 1st of January 2005, on the 5th of January, the 5th of May 2005, Two of my colleagues came down from Dublin and the three of us went out on the lake in a boat, um, to see if we could get any vibes from this particular area.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I just bought a new digital camera and I'm not a big photographer, so I gave it to my friend Carl and I said, look, you photograph away. And he was photographing, it was a really dull, drizzly day, you know, and I thought, oh gosh, he's wasting his time doing all this. Anyway. When we processed these photographs on the computer that evening, there was a big white light in the identical spot. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's strange. Very strange. And I haven't been down. You see, I haven't got enough, except for these photographs, I haven't, I haven't researched it enough, you know, to make a big deal of it. Yeah. But what? it's something that, that I think is important.
1: Yes, definitely something for future research sounds like for
2: future research exactly exactly, but you know
1: um
2: Ireland is a bit sort of how can I say backward and that sort of thing you know we don't we don't make big deals of these things, which in another especially in your country' been been a big deal by now,
1: you know, well, especially
2: when you have photographic evidence for it because we're a small town and things you know people tend to laugh at us,
1: yeah, yeah, you know, you know the old story absolutely, yeah, it's uh. Despite what you may think, it's kind of the same way here. It takes a lot to to Is it? takes uh yeah you know, more than one witness usually you know four or five maybe uh, it empowers the individuals it seems if uh exactly. more people come forward yeah. now you have on your site here a list of uh some sightings it says sightings in two thousand seven two thousand six two thousand five uh yeah. what, what would you say? uh the tenor is of these sightings that you've collected over the last uh you know since you started uh the UFO society uh is it is it picking up more as more people feel free to report yeah
2: every week i'm getting maybe two or three people um, i haven't updated the 2008 sightings yet because i have i have a lot of health problems you know i was diagnosed with cancer in december january i was in hospital and you know i've just had a knee replacement uh, thing so i've been having problems um, so I haven't had time to update it. But, you know, every week I'm getting getting uh, calls from people to say they've seen something or the other.
1: And would you say these sightings, uh, you know, span the whole of Ireland or their particular yes. areas?
2: They span the whole of Ireland. They're more in this Roscommon area where I live simply because people know me very well over here and they um, are, know who to report to. But uh, as I'm getting better and better known, uh, they... Um, I get reports from all over the country, and especially with the um, conference that I've just had, I've had massive, but massive, uh, newspaper coverage. You know, from all the national newspapers in the country. You know, about about the UFOs generally. Yeah. Which is great.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's what you need to uh, get the word out about your organization.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and people like yourself, you know, would help me a lot. Because I'm only as good as the information I get.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly,
2: exactly. You know, I mean, for me, I've seen a few things, but, you know, it's not important. It's the information I'm getting all the time that is important.
1: I kind of noted here and talked a little bit about the rich history of uh, esoteric phenomena in Ireland, whether it's the fairies or these leprechaun stories, and now, as you're saying, the UFO reports. What do you think makes Ireland... Such a hub of paranormal activity.
2: Well, I think mainly, you see, because it is how can I put it, an uh, undeveloped country. Um, you know, with regard to other nations, we still have a lot of um, safe, what I call sacred sites: stone circles, dolmens, uh, things like that. You know, ancient monuments.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, like we have Newgrange, which is the same the same sort of category as Stonehenge. And I mean that's the a, a, a thing that's very well known, obviously. But apart from that, the whole, especially the whole of the West Coast, we have standing stones, we have stone circles. In in Strand Hill, uh, which is about 20 miles away from me here, we have the biggest area of conglomerate of stone circles in Europe. Because Ireland is somehow sort of backward in, in 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 presenting itself, should we say? You know, these things are not that well known. But all down the west coast of it, there are huge dolmens. You understand what I mean by dolmens, don't you? You know, standing stones or dolmens, which are usually two or three upright, huge upright stones with a capstone. We have one 20 miles away from where I am where the capstone alone weighs 70 tons. Oh, wow. And nobody knows about it except me and a few other people. You see, but all these things, um, they're not... How can I put it? If this was any other country, that'd be a big thing. And this, this particular thing, this what I call the we call it the labby Rock, um, with this huge capstone the seventy seventy tons, is in a farmer's field. Huh. And you've got to know where it is, and walk about twenty minutes through a pine forest to get to it. Oh wow! You know, and anywhere else it, it would be a big thing. But there are so many places in Ireland that are not. How can I put it? They're just hidden. They're not known about.
1: Well, we need you to uncover these places, Betty.
2: Well, that's what I'm hoping to do. And all down the west coast of Ireland, there are these huge um, portal dolmens and stone circles and megalithic tombs of one description or the other. We have just about... 20 miles, 15, 20 miles away from me, we have what they call the Karakil Megalithic Tombs, which is about 32 of these um, mounds and tombs on top of the hillsides. And, you know, they were used by the ancients to know when the... In the same way as as the the shaft of light goes in, you know, to the tombs in in, in Cairo, the uh, Giza Pyramids of Giza, to know when, when the, the, the spring solstice was, when the summer solstice was, when the winter solstice was, for people to know when to put up, put up their crops. Yeah. And we have these. You know, and they're just on the hillsides and they belong to on farmers' lands. And people who are adventurous will go out and find them, but they're not. They're not national monuments. You know, it's, right. it's it's very. Um, in a way, it's lovely because it's still preserving the old thing. You can see them as they were before. They're not surrounded by steel fences, you know, and you've got to pay to go in. You just you just walk up the field, you know, and there they are.
1: Exactly, yeah. It's
2: wonderful in some ways, but then it doesn't. Uh, how can I? It does not bring out the best in them, if you know what I mean.
1: Absolutely. Before we get into the organized UFO studies, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this 1994 incident that sort of started your interest in the UFO phenomenon. Would you say that was sort of like the biggest case that you know of in Ireland as far as UFO stories go?
2: Well, yes, but the only only thing is that it wasn't a UFO crash. Oh, okay. That that was the thing. All we know is that the area was (coughs) cordoned off by um, the police and, and, and the army, and you know we saw signs of, of you know American limousines and men in black coats, you know that type of thing. Um, and there were two theories that came out of it. One was that it was a, a Saab um, Swedish helicopter that had crashed,
0: mm-hmm.
2: a secret helicopter that had crashed. So therefore the remains were taken away quickly by the army. Or the other time, the other uh, theory is that it was a time that Bill Clinton was in the north, you know, doing his. Um, reconciliation between the North and the South, and it was one of the black helicopters, you know, involved in Bill Clinton's entourage that crashed. And that would have explained why the roads were sealed off and why American um, uh, people, you know, in black limousines and things were seen in the area and why the remains were taken off by the Irish uh, military helicopters. Yeah. Nobody knows for sure because, I, you know, when, while we were trying to investigate it, I was uh, talking to um, one of the um, local guard, the sergeants, the police sergeants in the town, and he said, Betty said, you're wasting your time. Don't go near that stuff. Well, you see, they would say that, wouldn't they?
1: Absolutely, yeah. You yeah.
2: Know. So I'll tell you, Tim, you know, you really don't know what to believe.
1: That's the truth when you're dealing with the UFO phenomenon. That is the absolute truth. Um, yeah,
2: but I, do, I don't believe it was UFOs because, as I say, these uh, colleagues of mine went up with the Geiger counter, and there was no sign of any radiation. So that would lead, lead me to believe it wasn't a UFO crash, but there was some sort of, I think, high, top-secret military crash, whether it was American military from the Bill Clinton uh, episode or a Swedish Saab helicopter that crashed. But, you know, you hear all these stories and you take it all with a pinch of salt,
1: mm-hmm. as you know yourself. Absolutely, definitely. Now, let's talk a little bit about the UFO Society of Ireland. You said that when you when you went national, if you will, uh, you know, nobody came forward to say that they were the, the the national society. But prior to your organization, has there been any group or... Or organization of people, you know, that, that were a UFO group, as in sort of like how here in the U.S. we had NICAP and APRO in the 60s yeah. and 70s, yeah. and now we have MUFON.
2: I know, now you have MUFON. No, not to my knowledge, not to my knowledge. If they were, they were very low key. Mm-hmm. But then it may have been the, the times we were living in at that time, We talked about 1998, which is now, you know, 10 years ago, 98, 200, 10 years ago. And people have moved on a lot since then. Yeah. You know, even now, I find, like, you know, I'm a Catholic, so I uh, obviously go to church, and my parish priest is always saying, has anything been seen recently? Oh, they wouldn't have said this a few years ago. And uh, I don't know whether you're aware, but very recently, within the last few months, the Vatican has come out with the theory that um, because, I don't know whether you've heard this, but, but, but you know, the Vatican has come out with the thing that, um we must treat extraterrestrials as our star brothers and sisters because to say that they do not exist is putting uh, limitations on God's powers. So if God could create us and all the creatures, the deep and the air and everything else, why is it that they cannot create, why is it that he could not create uh, beings, I want not say human beings, from other dimensions? Yeah. You see, and this is what the Vatican is coming out I mean, we've known for a long time that the Vatican is known as something but extraterrestrial, but they've never come out with it publicly. And only recently, I'm saying in the last four or five months, they come out with, with this uh, um, fact mm-hmm. that, you know, they agree that extraterrestrials do exist, and uh, to say they do not exist is uh, saying that you're putting limitations on God's power. Yeah. Now, what do you think of that?
1: Maybe we're turning the corner here on the UFO phenomenon. That's what we can hope. Very about, much like.
2: so. Very much so. But you see, I think this the, the thing, Tim, with anything that you bring out new, it's laughed at, scoffed at. They don't believe it. And it's only as more and more people see these things that come out to say, yes, I saw something that was very strange. You know, then people have to believe that there, there's some truth in it. They may not entirely believe it, but there has to be something behind it. We, we had recently, recently a case, in, in fact it was shown at my conference um, in September, just a few weeks ago, um, uh, one of the guard sergeants in, in a particular area, he had his mobile camera with him, uh, not, not his, his mobile, and he took this photograph of, of a huge a triangular object with lights at each corner, um, and then at one stage, this light threw down a probe, a uh, red light, down to Earth, and we haven't found exactly where it landed, but, you know, I'm trying to find that out. So only happened shortly. And then about a week or so later, I had a phone call from a woman in that same area to say the following week she had seen a big black triangle with lights at each corner, Followed by a diamond shaped object with lights at each corner, and the whole thing must have measured between half a mile and more across in length. Wow. You see, but you see, because it is just somebody saying that, there's no proof. You could say whatever you want, I could say whatever I want.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You see, but um, to be,
2: as you appreciate him, unless you have proof, photographic proof, nobody will believe you. And to be quite honest, even when you have photographic proof, because this particular clip was shown at my conference, and people have been asking me, you know, when is it going to be put on the Internet? When is it going to be put on the... And I've been in touch with the people who have the copyright of this particular clip, and they say they're not going to put it on the Internet until they have had it investigated thoroughly to prove that it is valid. Mm -hmm because you'll always get somebody to say, oh, well, <laughs> you know, with computer graphics today, you can do anything.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You see, that, that, that is the problem a lot of the time.
1: Pictures it's, just aren't worth as much as they used to be anymore because of the computer technology available.
2: Exactly, exactly. It's only that we happen to know that this is a senior guard, a sergeant, and he would not put his name to something that was a fake.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So it's it's very difficult. You you can't believe everything you you see or read, you know, as you know.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. In this world, definitely not. Now, we've kind of established here that there haven't been uh, any really uh, prominent groups there in Ireland, but what about any prominent ufologists? Have there been anyone, you know, who stood out from the pack over there in Ireland as, you know, a a prominent UFO researcher over the years that that we might have heard of or not heard of yet?
0: No, no, not
2: really. I I think the sort of subject is too soon and too should say raw to, for there to be any research and stuff as such. I'm in touch with two of my colleagues and they have recently written a book Conspiracy of Silence U- The History of UFOs in, in Ireland and they have researched a lot of like pilots, airline pilots. You see, when you research this thing, you have to take people who how can I put it, who can be believed like airline pilots and stuff yeah. rather than the likes of me who's just an old Joe Soap. <laughs> No, no, you know what I mean?
1: I think so, yeah.
2: Yeah, you see, uh, somebody like an airline pilot who, would be le- who he would be believed more easily than the likes of me, who's just normally a citizen.
0: hmm
2: You know? So, um, it, how can I put it? It's only in, in its infancy at the moment here in Ireland. But yeah. I think it'll grow by leaps and bounds.
1: Yeah, ufology, you mean. It's only in its infancy.
2: Ufology, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even still people, you know, laugh at the whole subject thinking, oh, God, you're a bit of a weirdo.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like that everywhere, though. So, I mean, I wouldn't take it's it. It's like that top. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: but you see, in the States, there's more of a, just a hard core of people. Yeah. And it's been going on for longer mm-hmm. than it has been. It, to be quite honest, it's only with me coming in on the scene. I've only been at it for 10 years to make it, um, how can I put it, um, believable. When I I first started this society, like in in the town of Boyle, I had to sort of close it down in a way or, you know, do something about it because we used to have monthly meetings. And at first they were all enthusiastic and then they were afraid to go to the hotel and go up the stairs to um, notice saying UFO Society of Ireland in progress.
0: Oh man, that's tough. Because
2: anybody going up there would be considered a bit odd. Yeah. You know, so then you had to have a meeting in a side door of a pub, you know, and that sort of thing. It was all, you should say, undercover.
1: Yeah. Now, do you still do those sort of meetings and stuff?
2: No, no. I've, I've, I've stopped that because I found people just were not interested in coming to them, those sort of meetings. And as they come out in public and say that they were, that they believed in it. Yeah. So no. now I just, just confined myself to a annual, Conference and the conferences I've had have, have been very, very well uh, uh, taken. I had last year particularly, I had Paula Harris. I'm sure you've heard of her.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Paula Harris and um, Smith, Yvonne Smith, who is a hypnotherapist also from the States. And they both said it was the best, best, best conference they'd ever, ever been to.
1: That's awesome. That's great.
2: And this year they said the same thing, and I had Robert Salas, you know, from the States, Mary Rodwell from, uh, Australia, you know, and different people from, from, um, uh, England. And in the past, as I say, I've had Huckton Aydagan and, uh, from Turkey and AJ Gerhard from Brazil, uh, and Mike Bird from Mufon, you probably know Mike Bird mm-hmm. from Mufon. So I've had a really, how can I put highest caliber.
1: Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. Now, uh, one of the problems that are facing, uh, American UFO conferences is just a sheer lack of attendees. And a lot of people are losing a lot of money trying to put on conferences and no one shows up. Now, how, how is the attendance at, at your conferences? You, you know, how's it? I cover my costs. There you go. <laughs>
2: you see, look, I have to pay for, for the people to come over from Australia, people to come over from America or wherever, Turkey or Brazil or wherever. You see, and I just about—I don't make money out of it, but you know, I'm retired, and and I do this more or less as a hobby. Tip, yeah. You see, yeah. So I enjoy doing it, and I meet the most extraordinary people, and I really have a lot of fun doing it. And I do a monthly newsletter for my members, and they, I give them information that they wouldn't get anywhere else. You know, so it's great.
1: Now, you say you do a monthly newsletter. How many readers would you say you have for the newsletter? I'm trying to get a, a bead on how big the organization is.
2: Well, it's about 50 people at the moment.
1: Okay, all throughout Ireland?
2: Yeah. And also I have one in Costa Rica, and I have some in America, and I have few, uh, one one in actually Netherlands. So, you know, but they're just sort of scattered. But mainly they're, they're from Ireland.
0: Okay. Remember the
1: leprechaun. The one from Syria. They're magically delicious, that guy. Right. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. He's always chasing the pot of gold at the end of the
0: rainbow, but when he gets there, at the end of the day, it's just cornflakes.
1: Now, has there ever been, uh, as far as you know, any, any sort of statement or, uh, you know, a point of view taken by the Irish government with regards to UFOs?
2: Well, very recently, they have... Um, released files of UFO sightings.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and just recently, about three or four days ago, in fact, the 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 MOD from England released uh, files. And, oh, they were on to be on, on different radio stations, very excited about it. And they said, look, they're telling us stories that happened in 1990.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, that's 18 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. I'm getting stories that happened a week ago, a few days ago. So then the radio stations sit up and listen and say, for heaven's sake, that's extraordinary. You see, because these things, and also the Irish government last year, uh, just before my last conference, um, released the UFO files, and everybody, the press, were getting very excited about this, and they'd bring me up and say, oh, "Gosh, this is fantastic. I said, what's new? We're talking about 20 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, I'm getting stuff just the, the the day before, and they're amazed to think that I'm getting information that's been happening so recently. You know, because so when they release these files, I mean, that's nothing new to us. Yeah. You know, we don't get excited, but the press get excited. And that's okay. What I'm happy about, it makes the press interview me, which they wouldn't have done if these files were not being uh, released.
1: Now, when the Irish government releases these files, do they say anything about it, or do they just sort of like put them out there and they're like, here, you know, here's the UFO files that you wanted, or or do they say
2: Yeah, that's what they say. That's what they say, you know, we're releasing these files. And they go back, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and the, the local press get very excited about this. And then they ring me up and say, God, isn't it fantastic? I say, What's fantastic about this, you know? You're getting the same sort of information last week.
1: <laughs> exactly. Have you looked, even though you're sort of uh, not really enthusiastic about the files that have been released, have you looked at them and has anything stuck out to you that you find particularly compelling?
2: Not particularly, not particularly. Because the stuff I'm getting today is just as compelling.
1: Okay, so it's just sort of like all the same UFO sightings as, as you're getting you now. the
2: same right? old stuff, the same old stuff. And you see, a lot of the stuff, what the MOD, they would only, they only accept stuff which they think is not conducive to the public good. Anything else, they just discard. But if there's something, there things that might be, um, um, against national security, mm-hmm. they might look at it and think, oh, well, that doesn't affect national security, we forget about it. Yeah. You know, it's very, I suppose in the States they have the same thing, you know. They, uh, you don't want to admit that they've seen these things, to be quite honest with you.
1: Yeah, that's the way it is. Now, have, now, who was responsible for uh, these files? Is this the, the military or the government there, or how is that sort of thing Our Ministry of
2: Defense. Okay. Now, the same in England, the Ministry of Defense,
1: yeah. I'm sure you know about it, and I'm sure my listeners have heard about it, because we had him on the show with Nick Pope, and now he had a, a desk oh, yeah. at the Ministry of Defense. To collect and, and investigate UFO sightings is that the sort of thing that was going on in Ireland when these files were compiled, or was that how, well how? we
2: haven't we haven 't got the equivalent of a Nick Pope that I know of mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm sure there is you know somewhere in the, in, in the in the department there must be somebody who is the equivalent of Nick Pope, but Nick Pope is very much uh, how like could, could I put it he's a bit like a politician he doesn't you know say one thing or the other. As you know, I mean, I'm sure you read the stuff that he has, comes out with.
1: Yeah, he you know played. he won't
2: say one thing or the other. He he sits on the fence.
1: Okay, but you know
2: I've met what? Nick Pope, and the, but he's um, he's very diplomatic. Let's put it that way.
1: There you go. That's the best way to put it. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. and I'm sure I'm sure you have the same thing in the states. They have to be diplomatic because what else can they do?
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean I can understand his point of view on the whole thing. So. Yes.
2: I mean, he's got a job to hold down.
1: hmm exactly. You
2: know, but, so we all know where he comes from.
1: And so you think that within the Ministry of Defense in Ireland, that's sort of where these files originated from, and there's probably some sort of situation where there's someone who investigates these?
2: Well, I think so, but, you know, we're not privy to all this information.
1: Yeah. Have you tried to look yeah. into that sort of thing and find out?
2: Well, not me personally. I'm not a researcher. You see, and I leave that that to other people. I have enough to do with what I'm doing than to go into researching, you know, on, on this sort of stuff. But to my mind, to be quite honest with you, Tim, it's not important.
1: And why do you say that?
2: Because I don't think you'd get
1: anywhere. To try and find out that sort of information, you mean?
2: Yeah. You know, because they hide it a lot. You know, so you are just banging your head against a stone wall and you're trying to research this and that and you get nowhere at all. So to my mind it's not it's not worth bothering about. Okay. They don't know much more than we do. In fact I think I know more than they do.
0: <laughs> the so, no,
2: I don't mean that in an arrogant sort of no, way. Of I mean that very I mean that very seriously. Because I mean they just get reports of of you know, things being seen in the sky. And because it doesn't, it doesn't, because it doesn't appear on radar, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, like a scientist, if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, if you can't feel it, it does not exist. And we all know there are lots of things in, in this world today that are there. And we cannot, we know they're there, but we cannot prove it, shall we say? Seems that way. So, So that's the situation I am in. And in my stage in life, I'm not interested in, you know, running around after ethereal mm-hmm. things.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that uh, even though they released some files, you said that you know some stuff gets held back for national security and stuff, so you think that if there's anything really good that we probably wouldn't have received it in the, in the information dump that they made recently?
2: Oh, I think so. I think so. There must be... You know, you've got to take national security. They're not going to tell you but otherwise it wouldn't be national security, would it?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: They only tell you stuff that they want you to hear. You Mm -hmm. know, and once we realize that, then okay, that's
1: fine. You said that you think you probably know more than they do because all they really get is just the sightings and stuff. So do you think that there is any, here in America, there's a big belief in some kind of government cover-up of the UFO truth, if you will. Do you think there's something like that going on in Ireland as well, or do you think they're just out of the loop on what, is really going on with UFOs?
2: No, I, I think it's worldwide. You know, they don't want to let on because they realize that this extraterrestrial thing is bigger than they are. You know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the American government know we know it. I mean, Salas, I don't know whether, whether you know you know his story. I'm sure mm-hmm. about the UFOs uh, uh, shutting down his missiles. Yeah, but when when they were you know about to be tested. And that's been going on, and it's only now with the Freedom of Information Act that he's allowed to talk about it. But I, I can remember talking to a, a person, in fact, I had met at a railway station here in Boyle, and the same sort of thing happened with his father. You know, he was one of these top secret people, and it's only he told his son on his deathbed, but the son told him, the son of the person I was talking to, and he said his father said that if he had said anything, even to his wife... Before that, he would have been, um, how can I put it, ostracized or um, even, um, how can I put it, deleted from this world. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, silenced.
2: Silenced, exactly.
1: Exactly. That's chilling.
2: So, you see, it's very frightening. But, you know, governments throughout the world, and it's not only your government, governments throughout the world, they have such power that, I mean, they can push somebody out of a ten-story window and treat it as a suicide.
1: Exactly, yeah. Now, have you ever run into any sort of resistance from, uh, any authority over there in Ireland where they say, you know, stop looking into UFOs or, you know, trying to dissuade you from UFO, uh, what your interest in UFOs
2: said. Well, the only one I was telling you about, Tim, was this case of this sort of crash, you know, when, when the guard sergeant said, told me, told me, don't bother looking into it anymore. Nothing happened. Yeah. And we know something happened, but he said, don't bother. So, you know, that's only a very small incident in a very small town, and you multiply that by serious incidents, and it's happening all over the world. Many mm-hmm. no, countries like, like uh, actually, you know, Brazil and Mexico, they're very open to these things. And we uh, you've probably heard stories as well about how UFOs are flying over. You know, when they have national uh, days, you know, and have all the military on parade and that sort of stuff and you have UFOs above, you know, and nobody bothers, they accept it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether you know, but like in China, all the the government officials are instructed in UFOs, you know, and they know all about it, and they accept it as a matter of course.
1: Yeah, a matter of science.
2: Yeah, you know, it's one of these things that's happening. They don't say yes, they don't say no. They just accept it for what it is.
1: Now, you've said that you've become more and more well known in Ireland. What would you say the media coverage is like, uh, for the UFO phenomenon over there?
2: It's been incredible, because when I first started, people would laugh at me, and you know, say, so, you know, what you say when people are mad, and I was talking about the Galileo business. But now they don't even mention that. They say, you know, when was the last sighting? What has been seen since? You know, what do you think of it? You know, they're taking it very, very seriously. I think because the, the media are being more educated they're educating the people and the people are taking it more seriously so they're not afraid to you know phone me or email me or something to say you know they've seen something um you know and what do i think you know and i'll give them my honest opinion sometimes they'll say oh we saw this light going round and round every saturday night every sunday night we think it's a ufo in this area it turns out to be a laser light from a nightclub.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, that happens. Or somebody saying, there's those big bright light moving ever so slowly across the sky. It turns out to be Venus or yeah. Jupiter. You know, one of the planets going very slowly across the sky. So you have to be a little bit careful of what you would accept as a sighting. But, you know, like like the other day I had this email from a pilot, a private pilot he'd taken off of a small um, airfield. In, in Ireland, and he was going at 2,000 feet, and he saw this big white light, you know, about 3,000 feet. And, of course, the pilot would know what 2,000 feet and 3,000 feet is. So he went up to see, investigate it further. And as he was uh, getting closer to it, it just suddenly disappeared. Huh. And it freaked him out. It was a clear blue sky, and it just disappeared. But you see, I'll tell you, Tim, what my theory about that is if a thing travels fast enough, you cannot see it. Okay? If you think of the blades of, of a fan going round, mm-hmm. when they go around fast enough, you can't see the blades. Yeah. So if something is going fast enough, you, so this is, this is my theory that they don't disappear, but they go off so fast, your eye cannot follow it.
1: Mm-hmm. And now you said that a couple of uh, your fellow compatriots over there in Ireland have looked at. To pilot sightings, and I'm sure you probably are aware of their research. Would you say there's a lot of pilot sightings in Ireland of UFOs?
2: A lot of sightings, yes. But you see, they don't like to come out publicly with it. A lot of them spoke to these two compatriots of mine, um, colleagues of mine, for their book. But they said, do not put our names out. Yeah. You see. So, well, that's fair enough. You know, you've got to respect their confidentiality. And this is a thing I also respect very much. So if somebody says they've seen something and somebody else wants to know about it, I said, okay, but I have to go back to the first person and say, will you talk to so-and-so, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will never... And if I I do a monthly newsletter, and if I print out what they're saying, I always change the name. So nobody will know. You know even if it's the same area, they will not know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And that is very important for me because then it makes people come to me and say this or something, Well, if I were to blather, you know, out to everybody, they say, oh, we're not going to tell her. She would tell everybody, and they'd all laugh at me.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Just to jump back to the media coverage, here in America uh, on the mainstream media, it seems like there's a lot of even time situation where, you know, they'll bring on a ufologist and then they'll give even time to a skeptic. Is that the sort mm-hmm. of the same situation in Ireland, or are you pretty much given free reign to... Express the situation.
2: No, no. What happens if I go on a radio program, you know, I give my spiel, and then they'll have people uh, uh, um, phoning them and saying, uh, some say oh, that woman's talking a lot of sense, and other people saying she's talking rubbish. She's a lunatic. Yeah. You know, it's half and half.
1: You know, like here they'll bring in some guy, you know, like a Michael Shermer, or uh you know, various other characters who are just like professional UFO skeptics and debunkers. They don't have that sort of thing then.
2: We haven't reached that stage as yet, no, no. But I'm sure a short will come. Let's put it this way, Tim. How can I put it? Quite new in the field of ufology. You know, America's had it going for a long, going back to Roswell, you know, and that sort of stuff. And look at the hames they make of Roswell. I mean, you know, the 60th anniversary. What a song and dance! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know there was about Roswell? You know. And you know, if I wanted to make a song and dance about these sightings I've seen over here, we can nearly do the same thing. But Ireland is not ready for that sort of thing as yet. You know, America goes in, forgive me for saying this, but sometimes for a lot of Ballyhoo on this type of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah.
2: You know what I'm talking about. Totally. But... Ireland hasn't got to that stage as yet. They treat these things all very seriously and they won't, won't, won't go to those lengths. But I'm working on it.
1: Excellent. I kind of want to know about the perspective of everyday people, not just the people that contact you, but just the general public as far as UFOs go. You said it sounds kind of like 50-50 based on the feedback you get when you're doing a media appearance. Is that about where do you think the people are falling in line as far as uh, thoughts on UFOs go?
2: I think more and more people are beginning to realize there's something out there, because the message I always put out is how can we be very arrogant to think we are the only beings in this whole universe, you know, and more and more I'm getting uh, people either emailing me or talking to me and saying, you're right, we cannot be the only beings, I'm not talking about humans, but beings, spirits in this whole universe. There has to be something else as well. Yeah. But you know, then we get all people laughing about, um, you know, why would they come all the way from the universe, you know, Orion or Sirius or wherever. You know, just to come and have a look at the earth and, and go back again, you know? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know. You know, it's very difficult to, difficult to explain why. I mean, like the, the, the you know, there was that big sighting in O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then one or two of the reports I read, why would they come over to Chicago all these thousands of miles away to have a look at Chicago Airport and go away again? You know? I mean, if you put it that way, it sounds ridiculous.
1: Exactly. It's all how you frame the issue.
2: It's all how you frame. And why did they come? Because they apparently it was there for, for a good long while, you know. And they went up, and they said that they like made a hole in the clouds. I mean, you've read all about it, I'm sure.
0: And
2: mm-hmm. um, oh, well, why, why choose O'Hare airport in Chicago at that particular time? Nobody knows, you see. And I, I don't know whether you know that there was this woman, uh, what's her name, uh, Blossom Blossom Goodchild from Australia. Did you hear about this one? Yes, yes. On the 14th of October, there was supposed to be a big, big sighting
1: throughout the world. Yeah, and it never happened.
2: It never happened. And I've heard from, from, I've got, got to sort of investigate this further, but I've heard from, you know, one of my contacts that, uh, they, how can I put it? found that, should we say, like the time wasn't ripe. Yeah. For them to make a mass. But you see, this woman lost some good child, like she put her head on the line. Yeah. It was going to happen over a period of three days, and Mm -hmm. nothing did happen. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what the full story of that is, but the bits and pieces I I have heard is that you know they felt that the time wasn't right, but then I suppose she shouldn't have made it so definite.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's always you know, because
2: most people say we think, but she was definitely was going to happen.
1: Well, that's her, her mistake. Now, we kind of touched on the fairy lore in Ireland, and, and uh, a lot of people seem to tie in the old stories of the fairies with, with contemporary abduction situations. Have you heard of much uh, abduction stories in Ireland?
2: Not abductions as such, no, no. But then you see, because it's such a new subject, I may not have heard of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it may have been abductions, but I, I don't know about them. Cattle mutilations, definitely, no, I have not heard about them. And crop circles, also, I haven't heard about them. But then you see, we don't have big areas for crop circles to be put upon. Most of the crop circles, as you know, are in, in the Wilshire area of England. And eight is a very uh, area, very high energy because you have Stonehenge and uh, Glastonbury. All areas of very high energy, and you have big fields of wheat, you know, barley and stuff like that. And these uh, imprints can be made on that, whereas the fields over here are very small, and we don't have, you know, stuff for for crop circles, which is you know another like phenomenon, or should we say UFO phenomenon, if you like. So I don't know, but I know that like in America, in snow fields. They've been seen in, uh, like, British Columbia, they've been seen on the tops of the the big forests, you know, the pine forests and stuff like that. In the Sahara, they've been seen, you know, in the desert. They need big areas. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, this summer, it seemed like there was quite a flap of UFO sightings in England and Wales. What about Ireland? Did Did you guys see any residual effect no, of that flap? No,
2: no, no. There was, there was, at that time, I know what the ones you're talking about in Cardiff and things like that. No, there was a big flap about that then, but um, we didn't have any – well, let's put it this way. No reported sightings.
0: Yeah.
2: You see, I've got to be careful about sightings and reported sightings because – you know, I only know about the ones that are reported to me or report in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. But we did have one on the 3rd of August. I don't know whether it was, uh, uh, you know, made much of in your papers. Uh the 3rd of August, and um, there was this uh, guard sergeant who photographed a triangular object with the red lights. I think I told you about some a, a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That made, you know, sort of headlines over here and I was interviewed by a lot of stations, you know, about that. But that's the only one that has been reported to me.
1: Okay. Now, you've been looking into this here for like the last 10 years. Have you come to any sort of conclusions on what you think is going on with the UFO phenomenon? What you, you know, what it might be all about? Do you have any theories or ideas about big picture sort of perspective on UFOs?
2: Well, so the, my theories are sort of my own and also what I hear from different people that I'm uh, in contact with, you know, throughout the world, mediums and spiritual things like that. And pff, we believe that they're doing a surveillance. Of the planet. Why they want to come here, we do not know. But, um, let's put it this way. Until somebody can actually meet them and talk to them face to face, we would not know why they want to come. But it, it's just an interesting exercise, isn't it?
1: It sure is. It sure is. Because we never know if we'll ever get the answer. That's, uh, that's the next sort of question I have for you. Do you think, uh, that we'll find out, you know, the answer to the UFO enigma? you know, uh, within our lifetimes or, you know, within the next 10 years or something like that? Do you foresee answers coming in the future?
2: Well, I don't know whether you've heard about the 2012, the end of the mind calendar. I'm sure you have. I've heard all December. about it, yeah. Yeah, 21st of December 2012. So whether that has something to do with it or not, I don't know. Everybody has their own theories. Mm-hmm. And um, let's put it this I've got the theory that I just don't know what's going to happen. And I don't think anybody really, really knows. But, you know, some people say it's going to be the end of the world. Some people say it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. Some people say that those who want to ascend at that time will be able to ascend physically. Some people say that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> yeah. I, think we just, I think we just have to wait and see what happens, Jim. You know, it's, it's very difficult to, to be... Um, um, not subjective, but, you know, to to say that this is going to happen and that's going to happen, you have to have an open mind. I think that's the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, what about as far as the whole disclosure type thing, because that's sort of a big pushing issue here in America. Uh, in and the Stephen UFO. Greer. Yes, in the UFO community, with Stephen Greer and Steve Bassett and the uh, Paradigm Research Group and the disclosure movement and all that. Uh, to push for government answers, and as we've seen in the UK and Ireland now with the release of information, do you think it's going to come on that end? Or do you think it's going to be, you know, done by? Well, I
2: think I think the American government have to come out because the the, the British government to come out, the Irish government come out with, the French government to come out with, the Brazilian government to come out with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so the Americans will have to follow suit. But you know, the Americans, you know, forgive me for saying it, can sometimes be a bit paranoid.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: You know, you, you'd agree with me there. Um, so once they come out of that paranormal uh, standpoint, they would have to come out with it. But I think, I think they're stalling, to be quite honest with you. Because I think most people know, you know, these things are happening all the time. And people like Stephen Steven Greer are in the forefront of trying to do the disclosure project.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, America has its hands full as it is right now, so...
2: <laughs> I know,
1: I know. Adding UFOs to the equation would be even even harder. It will
2: be, be pushing pushing it a lot, yeah. But it will have to come because, I mean, it's happening all over the place. You know, China's come out with it, Russia's come out with it, all these other countries have come out with it, and, you know, America will have to come out with it sooner or later, you know. But I think they're just sort of biding their time, and, you know, I, I don't know why they're holding back, but, you know... That's their problem.
1: All right. Now, we've we've kind of talked about your conferences, and I presume that there will be a sixth conference next year, right?
2: Yes, I'm already fixed the date, 4th and 5th of October next year.
1: Excellent, excellent. Any idea on you probably still sort of working out who you're going to bring into the conference and that kind of stuff, right?
2: I'm working on it, but one of the people I'm going to work on very hard, and you're the first one to hear about this, he doesn't even know it as yet, <laughs> is Stephen Greer.
1: So we're breaking news here.
2: You are very much breaking news. I don't know whether I should even be telling you about it because I haven't even asked him. It's only this afternoon I was organizing the venue and the date for it, you know. So I have to contact him. So whether you should tell him at this stage that I want him to come at my conference or not, I don't know, but it's up to you. It doesn't matter. You know, either he says yes or he says no, and that's, that's the end of it.
1: Yeah, there you go. Well, if you can't get him. But I'm
2: sure with my charm, I'm sure he will say yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like that what do attitude you think, Tim? I like that I like that attitude
2: <laughs> I tell you we have a, a saying over here and boy what Betty wants Betty gets <laughs> it's a good one isn't it
1: I like that yes I like that yes. now uh, we, we sort of touched on what's going on here with your conference for next year uh, what other sort of stuff do you have up your sleeve do you have any plans for now, I know you, you kind of said you're not really a researcher per se, so maybe there's not a book or anything like that, but, uh, do you have any specific plans for anything exciting going on, and how can folks find out about your newsletter and, and all that good stuff?
2: Well, good, you can hear about me from the, my website, my com. um, and hear about me, and then if they wanted to join the society, then they would get a monthly newsletter which gives information, you know, which they wouldn't normally hear about, you know, from from other sources, um, or just, 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 you know, chat about it, or email me on uh, info at com.
1: Okay, sounds good. All right, Betty, well, it's been great to talk to you. It's been interesting to find out what's going on over there in Ireland with regards to the UFO scene. It sounds like you're really breaking some ground over there, and that's exciting to hear about and and, uh, really commendable that you're really sort of like the first lady of ufology in ireland which is awesome and and i'm excited to hear about the progress that you guys have been making over there and it sounds like things are only going to get bigger and better over there in ireland with regards to ufology so uh, i I take my hat off to you and and salute you for some fine work and look forward to seeing uh, what you're going to be coming up with next and hopefully sometime in the future i can Take a little trip out to Ireland and uh, attend the conference and, and check out some of these hot spots that you've been talking about.
2: Well, thank you very much indeed, Tim, for having me on your program. And I really, really look forward to you coming to my next conference, which will be on the 4th and 5th of October next year in Boyle, a beautiful, beautiful town. And um, if you came over, I will really, really, really look after you well.
1: That does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Big, big thanks to Betty Mailer for coming on the show. You can find out more information on her and her organization at www.ufosocietyireland.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio listener feedback. And as I teased at the end of last week's episode, we got three here in the till for you that we were saving last week, but we didn't do because time ran out for us to get the episode out to all of you so we're going to dive in here with the three emails we planned to read last week. Let's start off with a nice, short, and sweet one from someone by the name of Dragon. No hometown listed. Simply, Dragon. Here's what he has to say. I was wondering when the third part of the interview with Ann Druffle is going to be posted. It is a great interview. Signed, Dragon. That's all he has to say, and as you can probably Surmise, Dragon sent that to me before we posted the third part of the Andruffle interview, literally an hour or so before we posted it. My only real response here, and the point I wanted to make by reading this one, is sometimes the episodes do get pushed a little bit to Monday evenings, Monday afternoons, off of our normally planned Sunday delivery date, and I apologize for that, since there are so many elements that I have to harness when I put the show together. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer but I like to think that our hardcore listeners and longtime listeners and devoted enthusiasts of the program recognize that. And uh, hopefully they don't mind that the interviews sometimes get pushed forward a day or so. We always try to get them to you by Monday at the latest, even if we have to eschew listener feedback like we did last week. Thanks for listening, Dragon. Thanks for writing in. I hope you enjoyed Part 3 of the Andruffel interview. Next up is an email from Wayne, no hometown listed, merely Wayne. And here's what he has to say. I love your programs and listen on a Wi-Fi internet radio. However, when you speak, there is so much trouble, it's difficult to listen at times. Maybe it's your mic or headset. Your guest voices are okay, it's just yours. Thanks, Wayne. Wayne hits me where it hurts here, folks, but I can accept that. The sound quality is something that we're always trying to fix, but I'll be honest and admit that I've definitely settled into a routine, and uh, perhaps that familiarity of how we make the program is almost antiquated at this point. We use a simple telephone setup with a digital audio recorder that records the conversations. I do know that at times my voice can be kind of raspy. Uh, I am a smoker, so occasionally my voice will be particularly warbled if I uh, had just inhaled from a cigarette and then turned around and started talking, so I noticed that. But I don't really know specifically the issues related to treble and that sort of problem. I will say, when I am editing the episodes, when I'm going over the sound quality and trying to make sure they sound best, I always err on the side of caution and want to make sure the guest voices are as good as possible and uh, I will sacrifice a little bit of quality on my end to make sure that the guests sound good. But I think it may be just an issue surrounding the use of the telephone as the recording option. Someday in the future, maybe for Season 5, I'm going to take a serious, hard look at how we tape the episodes and perhaps come up with a new method of taping shows, maybe Skype or something like that, but it's going to take me a little while to really settle into something and figure out the best means to tape an episode. And I don't want to make excuses here, but let's not forget that I do put together the whole show on my own here. I'm not just the host and the producer. I'm also the editor, the technical guy, and I do the recaps and I do all the web stuff. So there's a lot on my plate when it comes to the episodes, which is kind of to throw back to the last emailer, why some shows get pushed a day ahead just because there's so many different fires I have to put out each week when we put together an episode. Like I said, I'm not making excuses. I don't want to say that there's too much treble in my voice because I have too much work to do to put the episodes together, but there's a lot going on and at times certain aspects of the program do get sacrificed in order to get the episodes out to you. So hopefully we can fix this treble issue. I think it may be something that you know, comes and goes with different guests, different interviews, depending on their phone line, I'm not sure, but we will strive to improve the sound quality of the program, I can assure you. And finally, we have an email here from Paul, located in Rhode Island. Here's what he has to say. Thanks for your statement regarding offending the political sensibilities of your listeners. I don't mind your Obama enthusiasm so much, although I'm not an Obama fan but it was cool to find out that I didn't have to feel like a BOA outsider because I didn't drink the Obama Kool-Aid. I appreciate that more than you know, and I'll back up my words with a BOA contribution via PayPal. I live in Rhode Island, so I know you live within a drivable distance. It'd be great to have a couple of beers, or gin and tonic, or whatever, I'll buy, at your convenience. Thanks for your political tolerance. Thanks for the great audio quality and bringing the interesting guests and conversation. This is why you're a force to be reckoned with in the paranormal constellation. Paul. There you go. From one emailer saying there's too much treble in my voice to someone else saying it's great audio quality. I don't know who to believe anymore, folks. I'm all confused. Thank you for writing in, Paul. I appreciate the props on the show. I really appreciate the contribution to BOA via PayPal. That'll go a long way to helping us pay for expensive episodes like this week's Hour Plus Call to Ireland. I am definitely down for a meetup, Paul. Anytime you want to come on up to Boston, I'd be happy to uh, partake in a beer or two and to discuss all things esoteric, so definitely get back in touch with me. Regarding the Obama stuff, no worries about that. We already kind of cleared that up. I try not to bring politics too much into the show, and as I said, that little off- the cuff remark was really the result of a two-hour-plus conversation with two really good friends of mine. Just a very loose atmosphere where uh, you almost forget you're doing a radio show, and it's just a conversation amongst buddies. So I've been more mindful of that, as folks may have noticed in the Adam Rightly episode, I sort of qualified my Obama remarks. We want all listeners of all persuasions, so we have no problem with people who aren't fans of Obama because really, at the end of the day, we're all fans of the esoteric. That's why we're here, so it doesn't really make a difference who you vote for, because we're all trying to get to the bottom of these paranormal mysteries. There you go, three emails. Big thanks to all the folks who wrote in, Dragon, Wayne, and Paul. Keep listening, keep tuning in, keep sending me your thoughts on the program. I'd be very interested to hear what you folks have to say. If you'd like to be a part of future editions of BOA Audio listener feedback, there's three ways to get in touch with me. The first one is simply write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. The second is you go to BOA proper and click the contact button. That'll put you onto the email page. And the third way is you join up at the official Banal of America forum, www.theusofe.com. T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E dot Great group of folks there. Always some fun conversations going on. And as I noted at the beginning of the program last week with Adam Go Rightly, always some fun contests happening at the US of E. We're going to have the WrestleMania Pick'em Contest in a couple weeks. And then around the same time, the big one, the Major League Baseball 2009 Prediction Contest involves not just the US of E members and posters, but also all the great guests we're going to have on for the third annual BOA Audio Baseball Special. So you definitely want to be a part of that. If you're listening here at the end of the program and you're a fan of forums, stop on over to the official BOA forum, theusofe.com. It's free, and we'd love to have you as part of our little coterie of esoteric enthusiasts. Up next, it's the credits part of the program. Let me give some heartfelt thanks to all the great BOA staff members. They are, of course, Leslie, Chiron, R. Lee, Joe V., Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, Paul Black, and Lasha Seniuk. Monday through Friday, top-notch columns, thoughtful and thought-provoking esoteric musings from the fantastic BOA staff. I can't thank them enough. They are what has made Ben All of America not just an audio series, but an esoteric think tank and a daily stomping grounds for anyone interested in the world of the paranormal. We say it week in and week out, but once again, I will repeat myself. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Ben All of America, you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your Everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Chances are you know the end of the program as well as anyone by now. If you're a frequent end cap listener here, you know what comes next. It is the donation part of the show. We know that the financial crisis is serious, and I do not want donations from people who can't afford to make donations. Save your money. Buy food. Take care of your family. Donate when things turn around if you can. But believe it or not, there are a lot of folks who are doing pretty good. They're hunkered down here during this financial crisis, and I'm asking those folks to make donations. So if you're enjoying the program and you're doing all right and you're not in fear of losing your job, then please make a donation to Benall of America and BOA Audio. Help keep the program up and running and freely available for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. How do you do that? Simple. Go to BOA or the BOA Audio Archive page. Click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll show you how to make the donation. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards BOA and BOA Audio. Next week on the program, it is a jam-packed episode. Unlike this week's show, which was about six months old, next week's episode is an ultra-fresh episode, taped it about ten days ago. It is another dual guest interview. It was a very enjoyable and fun conversation. Our guests are Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate, creators of the film Your Worst Nightmare, which details the sleep paralysis and supernatural assault phenomena, a totally fringe esoteric subject that not too many people have discussed in the past. We're going to have them on for two hours next week to talk all about your worst nightmare, and the strangeness that is sleep paralysis and then supernatural assault, which seems to stem from it. Andrew and Paul are going to talk about just what these incidents are, how one seems to lead to the other, how the experiencers of the phenomena describe the attacks. We'll find out if anyone has tried to communicate with the attacking entities, what proof we have that these things are real, what the clergy says about it, How the phenomena has been erased from the Western world, shadow entities, out-of-body experiences, the Cambodian connection, the god helmet, and, for the first time ever, a bizarre moment of technical difficulties. Usually I take these out, but this time it was actually sort of worked into the interview, and chances are you'll either laugh at it or get spooked out by what happened. It's a highly entertaining edition of BOA Audio. I had a blast talking to Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate. We were laughing within the first five minutes before we even taped the interview. These guys are great, and we're going to be covering just a ton of ground in this fringe genre of esoterica that is sleep paralysis and the supernatural assault that stems from it. Certainly a must-hear episode of BOA Audio. That's next week on the program. Andrew Barnes and Paul Tate, creators of Your Worst Nightmare. If you want a little preview of that, stop by their website, www.soulsmack.com, S-O-U-L-S-M-A-C-K.com. That'll have some teasers and trailers of the film, so you get more of an idea of what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. And on that note, we wrap it up here. I have nothing left to say for the week. Thank you once again, my friends, for listening. Thanks for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Banal, signing off.